This Blitz podcast is brought to you by Bravado Wireless. Available online at bravadowireless.com. The Blitz 1170 stream is brought to you by Duck Creek Casino, your hometown casino. All right, it is on its way, Matt. It is on its way. I'm excited for you. Three years of haggle, searching, and I I instantly have a little bit of regret because that there was a different version of it that I probably should have uh, purchased. I'll uh, I'll send you that version so you can judge between the two. I mean, but as of hard. right now, the gold satin starter 49ers jacket is on its way. Send me the other version so that way I can make like final judgments. Okay. All right. I will. Okay. I will indeed. All right. Let's set up that Oklahoma Ford dealers hotline and welcome in the beat writer for the Oklahoma Sooners from the Tulsa world. He is Eli Letterman. What's up, Eli? How are you, man? Pop, what's going on? I'm doing all right. I'm braving some cold, keeping an eye on the World Cup. And most importantly, though, I'm going to need a photo shoot of you in this jacket when it arrives. All right. I will do that. I will do that for sure. I might even make an unboxing video. I'm so hyped for it. Reliving my youth, Eli. Reliving my youth. <laughs> hey, you mentioned World Cup there. I saw you yesterday posting pictures of uh, the Landon Donovan kit. Um, World Cup men's national team thoughts, question mark? Well, I would tell you that, like, for me, like, I like football, I like basketball, the stuff I cover. I live for this, like, all the soccer and all of this, and I'm very much tuned into everything, including U.S. men. And yesterday, probably the biggest win they've had since 2002, since the World Cup in, in Korea when they reached the quarterfinals. So I don't think you can overstate just how big that was. It was, uh, it was massive. No, I don't think that you, you're overstating that at all. I, I think there are a lot of things that stand out to me uh, that make this version of this team incredibly fun to watch. And might I just start? I think uh, Garen Emig sent me a text last night. Uh, we were we were kind of trading things. And my, my response to Garen about things were, just in terms of the men's team, I, I remember in 1990, Eli, we didn't have cable so my mom's friend on her on her outdoor women's league soccer team did and would record the World Cup 1990 from Italy and because the men's national team had made it and that was a bunch of ragtag like semi-professional like college players that were so far in over their head it wasn't even funny and then the transition to 94 and and how all of that happened but for the first time in forever it was, and it's been a privilege to tune in and actually watch a national team where we're having a legit argument over a fourth member of the midfield getting more minutes. But for crying out loud, our midfield now features a guy that plays at Leeds. You've got Weston McKinney from Juventus that's in the middle of this. And then you've got Musa as well, who plays at Valencia. 
I, find me that went toe to toe with England's midfield. It is so much fun seeing a men's national team that actually has not only a competent, but maybe pound for pound at least upper tier of midfields in the entire world. That's not supposed to happen in American soccer. Well, and to add to that, what you didn't get to is Gio Reyna from Dortmund and Brendan Aronson from Leeds struggling to even get in. Yeah, that, that, that was I my point. point. We have These are great problems to have, and these are problems that other real soccer-playing nations have, which is too many guys at one position, and, and that's a great problem to have, but it's not a problem the U.S. has ever had. And now we have those, and that's, that might be like case in point, the sign of progress. But you're so right that if you're an outsider and you're wondering, you know, why should I get into this U.S. men's team as opposed to the ones in the past that have had moments of brilliance and have really been disappointing, it's that this young golden generation of talent, they're all playing in Europe. They are all playing for some of the, some of the biggest clubs in Europe. And right now they're where they are. They're all 22 in three and a half years when the World Cup is here, they should all be prime age. There will be a whole crop of guys we're not even talking about right now that come up and are, are contending to play on that team. So this is like the start of what should really be the golden generation. That's why yesterday them getting that win and getting to the round of 16, and I think now it's all kind of house money, was just so important in terms of the whole macro deal with the U.S. national team. And it's not – it's even more than midfield. I mean, for crying out loud, we finally have more than just one guy down the flank that that you're, you feel comfortable with. Uh, they're, they're bigger. They're stronger. They're faster than what they ever have been before. I mean, Dest is playing incredible right now. Uh, Wea, in the form that he's on right now, I mean, it, it it's just – we've – I get in this argument with Al. I call it an argument, but he keeps saying things like, yeah, it's, I keep hearing the same excuses over and over and over forever. It was semi-professionals and college players in 1990, for crying out loud. Like, how, and, and when we've been in the Cup, like we've, yes, we've had some issues in the past, but for the most part, like getting to the round of 16 should be the standard now. And I think we're I think we're finally there where we feel comfortable with that being the standard with this crop of players that we have that's the, one of the youngest teams that exist in the entire cup. Well, yes, you're talking about like the 90s teams that had that they were, you know, training the guys who weren't even playing for clubs and training on their own like US men's national team camp and playing friendly Take it forward even to, like, the, the, you asked me about Landon Donovan, one of my very first U.S. men's national team members, that goal against Algeria. And those are big teams in their own right. Uh, a lot of MLS guys, a few who would be in Europe, and they won by being scrappy, by being counterattacking, all those things. The difference between then and now is this U.S. team can seemingly control games. They can go at teams, play to their style, as opposed to just sitting back, absorbing a bunch, and hoping you get that counterattack goal, that goal off a set piece that defines so much of, like, the last 30 years of the U.S. men's national team, but it's, it's different now. And they've got the talent to go toe-to-toe at the very least. Not to say they'll beat France, Brazil, or even Netherlands when they play on Saturday, but they at least can go toe-to-toe with some of the best in the world, and that is a statement bigger than, you know, any of the wins they've had in the past, I think. Yeah, and I wouldn't put it past them at all with just the, the form that the Dutch are in right now. I think the United States can win, and I'm picking them to to beat the Dutch on Saturday. I love it. I, th- I, I think it's a great matchup. Depending on how they go this afternoon with the Poland-Argentina Group C results, it could be 
some, a relatively cushy uh, quarterfinal matchup for whoever advances from that U.S. Netherlands game. So it, it's uh, it could be quite an opportunity they've got Saturday beyond just you know going further than they've gone since 2002. Oh man, it's it's a ton of fun for sure. Uh, as we transition, excuse me, transition to the Sooners. This cough, Matt, is just killing me. Well, you know what? I tell you this, Eli. If they beat the Dutch on Saturday, you have Carp Launch to come in on Monday and hang out the entire day. If you want to, we'll we'll, we'll talk World Cup, or you can call in wherever that you're at. That that sound fair? Yeah. Okay. What happened in Lubbock on Saturday? <laughs> My goodness. It's just a microcosm of everything that we've seen throughout the year. And it's uh, for all the good that seemed to happen in the leftover and the hangover from Bedlam and all the good feelings instantly went out the window a week later. Yeah, you use the term microcosm. I think just about everything you've seen, good and bad, from this team is kind of present there. You saw the the moments of brilliance from this offense, where they can turn it on, show off a big play, you know, score and consecutive positions, all that. You also saw the offense, whether it's ineffectiveness, struggles on third and fourth down, or just game management, cost management, uh, and decision making, play calling, uh, down to that play in overtime where you, you put Dylan Gabriel in a spot where he gets hit like that. Uh, and seeing the rest of the series there in overtime is disrupted. You saw that. That was all the good and the bad of this offense all year. The defense, for a third straight game, uh, pitched a, a first-quarter shutout, and you saw sort of what had been this late-surging push from the defense the last few weeks that actually looked like progress. And then in the final three quarters, they allowed 51 points, or three quarters in overtime. And you see the lack of discipline. You see the misses, all those things. So it really was. You know, the defense, you know, for a team that finished the regular season 6-6, six and six, you saw everything that this OU team was and has been in 2022 on Saturday night. Uh, and what that ended in is uh, a high-scoring loss and, and 500 because Brett Venom was the first regular season. I brought this up with uh, Dusty Dvorak on Monday, so I'll get your thoughts on this. I never felt like that this team was able to handle um, – success. I think the last couple of weeks kind of proved that, at least from how they started off games, what, 24-6 to was the lead uh, there in Lubbock. We know what the uh, Oklahoma State start to that, to that was. But even going back through different times during the year, outside of the Nebraska game, there really wasn't a whole lot of, of period of time where they handled when things were going well. It always seemed like something would rear its ugly little head and it would shift the other direction quickly. Did you get that sense as well in watching them? Yeah, I think I think empirically it's hard to argue that. I mean, this past week, 24-6, and, and you can't see that out, and there are probably a few plays in there that they go differently and they're able to. Oklahoma State, I, I think if, if that offense uh, is doing anything more in that game, I mean, Oklahoma left the door open. For the Cowboys, they couldn't take advantage, but the, the door was open. They were, in a sense, really similar games. Uh, but, and then going back to the start of the year, I think they, they start 3-0, and and they even said it a little bit after that Kansas State loss, uh, the first loss of the season, that was that they'd maybe gotten a tad complacent. I don't think that's the case on the whole is, is the reason they struggled to, to maintain their success, but I think those are the, the things that when you're Brent Venables and this staff, 
uh, and you're evaluating changes in, in coaching personnel and player personnel and how you want to do things next year, you got to figure out what, what that issue has been. But, you know, sometimes it's as simple as this. I think Saturday night, uh, that fake field goal in the second quarter, you, you look at that and you say, was that the right time for that play call in that moment? And how did things turn from there? And I think managing the game um, in every aspect, whether it's making that right call in the second quarter or if it's the second half and, and knowing when to put that offense in a huddle or, or when to make the right calls, that's probably been one of the overarching things I've seen this year where you, you, with the little things, we talk about the small things, they've played so many close games and lost so many close games. Those small decisions come up big at, at, at the big times, and I think that, that's definitely one of my big takeaways from these first 12 games of Brent Venables' era. So has Venables been pretty open about like the time for, for reflection, for looking into the mirror and figuring things out a little bit more. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean making like wholesale changes on, on anything in terms of personnel, just with everything that you just brought up, situational aspects, um, you know, diagnosing every little thing that it takes for a program to be successful. How open has he been to that? Well, we, we haven't talked to Brent since, Saturday night, right in the direct aftermath, and you know he was asked about you know when do you start thinking about those things you have to do in the off season, whether it's personnel change, things like that, and so there's a million things to take care of. So he's been you know general and vague on on a lot of that stuff to this point, but I, I think there's no doubting you know what they've got to evaluate, and it's worth considering that this time last year they were just you know on the fly assembling a staff, keeping a recruiting class afloat bringing in transfers they felt could make an impact this year. I, I don't know if they're taking any deep breaths right now in Norman, but at the very least, they've made it back to this point where they can really evaluate things right. And I think it's worth considering the fact that this is really the first full normal offseason, um, at least starting from, you know, December 1, that they'll have. Uh, so I'd imagine everything will be on the table. Everything will need to be evaluated. But I think there's a lot there to evaluate, whether it's, Again, coaching, going to your coordinators or down the group of assistants. Uh, just looking at these players and who's going to be back, who, who plans to, to head elsewhere, head to the pros, uh, and figuring out what they've got to do so that, you know, when we're here next year, we're not talking about some of the same game management things, some of the same decision-making things, and ultimately all the things that cropped up over the course of the season we've been talking about really since, you know, September. One of those players that is uh, not back, um, Theo Weiss, who made it official. Had the, what the the story came out Monday, and then he was on, I think, Dusty and uh, the podcast Strength in Oklahoma, and he said, "No, I haven't made a decision yet." And then today, boom, there it is—the social media post. Really, no surprise based off of the initial report that we saw. Yeah, that was. I think uh, that Theo was, you know, sort of taking control of his own. Um, story there, but it, it was it was pretty clear, I think, by the end that this year certainly had not gone for, for whatever reason. Uh, the, the union with Jeff Levy, which is funny because the, the rumors this time last year were, were, were that Theo was going to Ole Miss to play for Jeff Levy, but he, he never quite became the guy in Jeff Levy's offense that I think so many envisioned this year. Uh, he, he recorded stats in only seven games and made an impact early on, but in conference play really wasn't much of a, uh, a factor. Uh, until his final game. He, his best game of his college career came Saturday night uh, in Lubbock. But speaking to him after, uh, he's going to chat with his family and, and think on that decision. Uh, had a lot of complimentary words for the program and for Brent Venable, said things were going in the right direction. But obviously, he 
he's got two years left, and he's looking presumably for that next opportunity where he can do a bit more than he was able to one reason or another this year. Do we have any idea of what we're looking at potentially? This is a really unfair question to ask because I don't even know if like the coaching staff knows. Uh, but that's the reason why they can't go on the road until this weekend is to have this little period here where they can at least have a better understanding uh, but do you think that this could have the potential to be heavy-handed with uh, multiple players deciding that uh, they're going to go somewhere else and jump in the portal? Well, I think this time of year, like that's just the norm now. You could, you know, someone doing some roster accounting can probably predict at this point in, in just the world of college football, any roster this time of year is going to see, you know, five, ten, fifteen guys hit the portal, another five opt out of the bowl game, and that's college football in, in twenty twenty-two. But I asked Brent Venables this Saturday night after the game. How do you manage that this week? He's been vocal about uh, the, his feelings about opt-outs for the bowl game. Uh, you know, he, he gets it, and we're in 2022, but, you know, his view, he's committed to something, you finish it out, and he's going to have guys like Braden Willis, who's certainly committed to the bowl game. Uh, both T.K. Colvin and Marvin Mims also said Saturday night they plan to hang around. But you're going to see guys leave this roster in the next few weeks. They've got um, I think Monday will be the, the day everyone can officially enter the portal. And I think you'll, you'll see plenty of movement, but that'll come both ways. There will be movement out, um, and that's not predicting anything other than, again, the fact that there's turnover just about everywhere right now, but turnover that comes back in and, and incoming transfers. They've already got Jacob Lacey coming from Notre Dame. who committed on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and I think, you know, we saw all the moves they made in the portal last year right when the staff got here some hits, some misses, um, and I, I know, I think we're all learning that uh, rebuilding through the portal is, is easier said than done, but I, I think that's where you're going to see some departures, but keep an eye on the incomings and, and what those guys can mean and who could be the real contributors next year, which is when we're going to be judging this all over again. All right, where are you, uh, where are you rooting that you could be ending up uh, spending some of your bowl time at? Are you uh, leaning more towards Cheese it bowl and the the Camelback, which never sucks uh, at all. Which which way is Eli leaning right now? Well, I uh, I was fortunate enough to spend last New Year's at the Camelback uh, covering the Cowboys against the bowl. And if I could make it two years in a row, that might be my personal vote. <laughs> uh, but uh, these are uncharted territory for the Sooners. These yeah. are not bowl games they're especially familiar with. Uh, it might be in Texas, it might be in Florida. I think an outside shot of, of Memphis, Liberty Bowl. Uh, but personally, I wouldn't mind another trip to Phoenix. It doesn't suck, my man. It doesn't suck at all. And I would be incredibly jealous, but happy for you of getting to spend some holiday time there. Uh, by the way, Argentina just went up. Hubbard out there if they go? Would you send Hubbard? No. I'm not, if I've sent anyone, I'm sending me, <laughs> not Hubbard. Yeah. Why, why would I Why would I allow Hubbard to spend some time at the Camelback when I could be spending time in the Camelback, Eli? Come on now. Well, it's reasonable enough. Yeah, I'm looking out for Hubbard. I got to do that. <laughs> well, someone needs to for crying out loud. That is for sure. Uh, by the way, Argentina just went up 2-0 on, uh, on Poland here. 69th minute. Eli, appreciate you, man. Uh, we'll definitely be in touch. I'll text you uh, during the uh, game on Saturday. Make sure that uh, you're awake and that you're following along with the men's national team, and uh, we'll definitely check in again soon. 
I'll appreciate that wake-up call. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, man. That's uh, Eli Letterman joining us here on the Blitz 1170, covers the Oklahoma Sooners for the Tulsa World. All right, let's take a timeout. Matt, when we come back, a segment that I have titled Rat Poison. Yes, made famous back in 2017 from one Nick Saban. But we'll talk rat poison in terms of the college football playoff. That's next here on the Blitz 1170. Thank you for listening to this exclusive Blitz 1170 podcast from Bravado Wireless. 